the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the faithless, the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, will you not be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back, he will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. May God grant to us an understanding of his word. For some of you who are a little bit older, you may remember Malcolm Fraser paraphrasing a line from one of George Bernard Shaw's play, where he said, life wasn't meant to be easy. But I want you to consider an even older quote and a more famous quote. When Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then again in John chapter 15 we read Jesus saying, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And as the apostles reflect on it, we find them again and again bringing up this concept that God's people will face strife, 
For instance, in Acts chapter 14, uh, Paul is on his missionary journey. And we read that in Acts 14, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, where they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. And they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders for them in every city with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It seems that strife, ridicule, opposition, persecution is the lot of God's people, both in the Old and the New Testament. And Psalm 94 comes to us in, from a time of wicked, evil words, of ungodly greed and oppression, of arrogant godlessness. It's, it's written in a time when Israel's foes are dominant, relentless, and persecuting. It's probably in the time of Nebuchadnezzar and there are, that the foes or the pressure is foreigners is, is very likely, for they're called lawless in verse 3. And, and they speak of God as being the, the God of Jacob, as if some sort of other nation addressing them. And their pride and their arrogance strongly remind us of the words of, of Rabbishek in, in the uh, Second Kings, the Assyrian king as he came and spoke uh, to Hezekiah. And as the uh, Assyrians stood out, camped outside the city, the Assyrian general Rabbishek said this to the people, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and powerful words? Word? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff that will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is, he not, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, and saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. And this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink and the water of a cistern. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, 
You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So there's the Assyrian army camped around Jerusalem. The Assyrian general is, 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 is deliri- delivered this speech of mocking towards Hezekiah and to, and to the God of Israel. And Hezekiah has prayed. And we read, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. God had answered his prayer in a rather gruesome and awesome way. Psalm 94 is is written in this whole context. Does God care for his people? Will he hear their prayers? Will he protect them against slander and opposition? Will he protect them against persecution and strife? And Psalm 94, in lots of ways, echoes Psalm 2. And Psalm 2, summarizing in lots of ways the whole sweep of history, says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And you could compare Psalm 2 and Psalm 94 and see their common themes. God's people are threatened. God God himself is arrogantly mocked. God's rule is, is, is rebelled against. And yet God has the final say. God is mocked. God's people are threatened. But God has the final say. And the apostles saw Psalm 2 fulfilled in Jesus. Because of their link with, in, by faith with Christ, they saw the, persecu- the persecution they faced as a fulfillment of Psalm 2. And they said, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And through the mouth of your father David, your servant, he said by the Holy Spirit, and they quote directly from Psalm 2, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And their their prayer was that, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants. What? Peace? Prosperity? Success? No, no. Grant to your servants that they might continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. They pray that God might enable them to speak and that God might act. So we ask ourselves as we look at Psalm 94 and the sort of parallel in Psalm 2 
What's the historical setting? And what did it mean? And how is this worked out in the life and ministry of Jesus? And how does it apply for us? Well, we looked already at, at some of the uh, historical context, the, the, perhaps the uh, Assyrian army encamped around Jerusalem, looking as though Jerusalem is on its last legs. And they pray. God and his people are mocked and oppressed. And God is called to act. And the psalmist in Psalm 94 recognise those who defy God. But there's also a confident certainty that God would act. Look at verses 14 and 15. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Or then again in verse 22 and 23. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. And we have to ask ourselves, upon what is their certainty based? What is it grounded upon? What sort of substance is there that we can find hope and certainty in the midst of opposition and persecution and mocking? I was reading the news on, on Google and I came across a couple of articles this week and they said, reflecting on last year's or the year before census, there's only 41% of Australians who name themselves as Christian. And they're saying, this is a terrible thing. It's gone down so far. But I think 41%? Gee, that's pretty incredible when you think about how many people actively speak against Christianity. But on what do we base it? our hope and our certainty. Is it merely a numbers game? No, no, no. We base our hope and our certainty, our confidence uh, in the face of opposition and mocking and ridicule, firstly upon the reality of God, the reality of God, that God is there. Now, this comes up so many times in the scriptures it comes up in the uh, chapters 40 onwards of Isaiah. But here in Psalm 94, he said, Understand, O dullest of the people, fools will you be wise. He who planted the ear, will he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of a man, that they are but a breath. The scriptures are so eloquent in declaring that God is. God knows. God acts. Our confidence rests upon the reality of God. There's nothing firmer then the one who made all things is the one who stands behind his people. But this confident certainty that we have also rests upon the reality of God's covenant promises. The God who is has spoken and he has made promises, promises that he himself will keep. 
In Psalm 94, 11 times in these 23 verses, we read the word Lord. And in most Bible versions, this is capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And this is the way the, the Bible translators highlighted the point that this is the name for God, Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. It's that special and significant name whereby God made himself known to the ancient Hebrews. It was, as it were, the, the personal name of God, by which the Israelites knew him as their God. And their God was the one and only true God. Yahweh, Jehovah, was their God, according to the covenant he had made with Abraham. Yahweh was their God. This is the God who appeared to, to Moses in the burning bush and declared to Moses, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And he acted. Just as he had promised Abraham, Jacob, Isaac and Jacob, just as he promised Moses, God rescued his people. For God was more than just a, a covenant God speaking. He was a God who redeemed, who rescued his people. And again, that theme is highlighted in, in Psalm 94. There's not just the name of the Lord, but we read your people, your heritage, the God of Jacob, his people, his heritage, his heritage that God had bonded deeply, permanently with his people. And his past, what God has said and done in the past, guarantees the present and the future. In fact, the, the very crimes that the psalmist speaks about takes us back to God's covenant itself. In Exodus we read, you shall not mistreat it, mistreat any widow or fatherless child. On Deuteronomy, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And Deuteronomy again, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge. Cursed is be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. And so as the psalmist in Psalm 94 says, God is the one who, who knows. He knows the, the sin of those oppressing and persecuting his people. And the psalmist's confident reality rests upon the certainty and the reality of God. That God is. God knows. That God acts. And this confidence certainly also rests upon the reality of God's covenant promises. And he calls God to witness and act in covenant faithfulness. And the psalmist's confidence is fulfilled ultimately in Christ. Yes, God wiped out the Assyrian army. But sin still was in the world. God's people still continued to be oppressed and persecuted the ultimate act of God was the sending of his son. 
and what he fulfilled for us in Christ. And so we can read in John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And a bit further on in John 1 we read, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, Jesus was mocked, scorned, killed. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers took counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. And yet we know that God has and will have the final say. Christ rose from the dead, triumphant. And we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we continue in this world, linked, bonded, united to Jesus by faith. And we, because of this bond, because of this union with Jesus, hear his words in the Sermon on the Mount about persecution for righteousness' sake, about being reviled and persecuted and all kinds of evil set against us and being reminded that great is our reward in heaven. And so as we live our daily lives, political correctness, scoffing, malice, persecution, it shouldn't surprise us. It happens every day and almost in every work context. And so we hear with the Apostle John and we identify with those he saw under the altar, the souls of those who were slain for the word of God and for the witness that they bore, who cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you would judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And what do we do? We rush out and buy some weapons to attack those who oppress God's people. No, no. We stand with confident reality that rests upon the reality of God, that God is, God knows, God acts. And this confident certainty also rests upon the reality of God's covenant promises fulfilled in Christ and yet still to be revealed God is. And God's covenant with us is grounded in Christ. And so with the psalmist we can say, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And with the apostle we say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our certainty. This is what the psalmist speaks about when he says, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would sooner have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. The Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're going to close with a song in a few minutes, but, but it's a song that was released in 2021, and it begins by saying, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? What holds our days within his hand? What comes apart from his command? What will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. So together as we stand and we sing, let us remember, we stand with a confident certainty that rests upon the reality of God. That God is, God knows, God acts. And that God has promised. And all those promises are fulfilled for us in Christ. And it's that certainty that enables us to cry out, how long? But it's also that certainty that enables us to stand firm. For God has promised. And God will have the final say. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us in the midst of a very confusing world, in the midst of a world where everything seems to go against your people, to find our hope, our confidence in you, the God who is, the God who speaks, the God who acts, the God who keeps his promises to his people. And we thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. Our final hymn, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone.